Scientific and technological advances and open markets are creating both opportunities and challenges for today's organizations. To stay relevant as a company, you need to be able to adapt to unprecedented change, uncertainty, complexity and ambiguity. In this podcast, we will explore how leaders can build such organizations. Hey, and welcome back. Hey, it's great to be back for another episode. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm excited. Yeah, me too. And we've uh, definitely had some unexpected delay Mm -hmm. um, because of COVID-19, but you and I are both healthy, thankfully. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But there's uh, quite a lot of uncertainty and uh, a worldwide pandemic really creates a lot of that for you. Mm. Uh, But that's not what we're going to talk about today. So what are we going to talk about? There certainly is a lot we could talk about with regards to the pandemic, but um, we've decided not to talk about it today and maybe another day. And we're sticking with our initial plan to talk about uh, teams. Yeah. Or more specifically, organizations that optimize for, uh, for teams. And this is when uh, you as a listener might think, meh, all companies today have adopted the concept of working in teams. And uh, everyone is working in teams. Everyone has understood uh, that's how you should work. There's nothing new about that. And you know, that might be true. I would uh, certainly agree with uh, those statements. Mm. And I think it's, I think it's great uh, that this practice has been picked up uh, by most companies. With that said, other things can be said about the ability to optimize an organization for teams and the practice of setting it up for success. So we're going to dig into that today. Yeah, and I think all of the things that we're going to talk about today is still relevant relevant when teams work remotely and from home. Um, But then, of course, like a pandemic adds a, a lot of additional challenges, but we won't really dig into that. Yeah. Uh, I can start with a fun fact. So I'm currently not part of a team, mm? which um, which I would like to be. Mm. And uh, it's a bit funny uh, because there's there are times I'm really sick of being in a team. Uh, <laughs> uh, it's such a contrast, really. Are you part of a, a team currently or working with one? Yeah, or I I would uh, I would probably count myself as being a part of multiple different teams. So I count my engineering manager team as my first team and and we work pretty closely together on on common goals Um, but then I also have my engineering teams where I consider myself more of like a part-time member Mm. Um, so I I support the teams from the side and and drive certain initiatives and, and stay up to date with where they're at and their delivery but I don't necessarily engage in all of the team uh, activities and meetings so I'm, I might miss stand-ups and team meetings but I'm I'm generally up to date with what's going on and I might do one-offs or take on certain tasks to to support them mm. uh, let's elaborate uh, on this for a bit because there are still some common fallacies among leaders today mm. that uh, impedes team performance and there are two that are more disruptive than others mm. One of them is when a group of people can be considered a real team versus just a group of individuals. Yeah. Uh, and the other is about the work and energy that goes into creating productive teams. Mm. Um, and these fallacies are sometimes more apparent in organizations that want autonomous or self-organizing teams or both. So expanding on the real team fallacy, unless a group of people work towards a common uh, longer term goal and the need to collaborate in um, order to achieve that goal, 
there's no value in treating them and thinking about them as a team. Uh, they would be more effective working as a group of individuals. Another way to put this is that you won't get the potential benefits that working as a team can give you. So besides sharing a common goal and being interdependent, a team benefits when people are only committed to a single team and that there is some stability in membership over time. And the things that you're saying now is, is based on some, some research as well by uh, Richard Hackman. So yeah. according to him and what you're saying, like a team is not really a team unless these criteria are met. I often find it more valuable to highlight that the conditions of these criteria will have a direct effect on a team's performance. It helps to avoid a theoretical argument over semantics and mm. the ultimate truth. Mm. So if we revisit your current situation, um, looking at your team of engineering managers, um, they seem to be uh, independent mm. and work towards a common longer term goal. I would then make the assumption that its uh, performance is somewhat affected due to you having some commitment to other teams as well. I think it also would be more fair to say that your engagement with them is about creating relevant conditions instead of being an actual team member. Is that is that fair? Yeah, that's a fair assessment. So then if you have the people and you have the goals, then it's a done deal. Not necessarily. <laughs> okay. This is really the second fallacy that leaders generally underestimate the effort, time and energy it takes to become a productive team. Many teams need significant engagement from former leaders, while others are able to become productive with minimal engagement. Team members' previous experience with teamwork are key factors in how things turn out as well. Yeah, for sure. And a, a problem that I've seen, and, and I've most likely been guilty of doing it myself as well, mm. is that mm. you, you form a new group and you give them a problem to solve or a really concrete goal, and then just be like, okay, now they're ready to go. Um, but that still isn't enough. So they might get started quickly, but then you see a decline in progress or frustration and maybe a lot of spinning their wheels without progressing or, or strain on the team spirit. So what do teams actually need, in your opinion? Yeah, I've also recognized this. Like leaders being confident that the team goal is clear enough to every member and that they are highly committed to it yeah. after an, an initial kickoff meeting. Uh, however, if you look at the research from uh, Susan Wieland, it tells us that both of those assumptions couldn't be further from the truth. Um, this is something we can come back to uh, a bit later. Mm. And I think what, what frust me, frustrates me the most is like so many companies want great outcomes and resilient teams, but then they actually create obstacles for themselves in achieving just that. For sure. It's really unfortunate. It sounds like you have a specific pet peeve in mind. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I could go on forever about this, but especially when when companies create individual incentives, they run the mm. risk of shooting themselves in the foot. So I'm a strong believer, and I will hold this to the day that I die, that, that individual goals, and especially if they're bonus-based, is the root of all evil. Okay. When you give people individual goals they are measured on, especially with monetary rewards tied to them, you reduce their incentive to work together on uh, solving issues, especially if other team members struggle or need help. Yeah. So the team is basically put in a situation where someone has to balance failing their own goals, losing my bonus versus 
being a good team member, a really disruptive environment for, for teams. Yeah, exactly. And I, if you are a sane business leader, what you want your teams to make decisions on is like, what's the most important thing for the company in this situation, yeah. not what's best for me. And there's a lot of good studies and reading on this, and especially how money and rewards affect your decision making. I can recommend Barry Schwartz, who's a professor and psychologist, and he has written two books, both uh, The Paradox of Choice and the second one is called Why We Work. And um, he's also done some some TED Talks mm. based off of them. Okay, so to summarize your, your sort of pet peeve, mm-hmm. if you want your teams to be productive and make use of the positive effects from teamwork, you shouldn't create individual incentives that potentially will create conflicting goals among uh, team members. Yeah. I mean, I would focus on creating conditions that incentivize teamwork and team performance and team goals, because that will inherently foster a more collaborative environment. Um, But also to to observe and to retrospect on things that you and others do that might have a negative effect on collaboration and and do less of those or even stop doing them altogether if, if and when that's possible. Yeah. Okay. So let's let's go back and look into the time and energy it takes to create or become a successful team. Mm. So the short version of this is that research on group dynamics points at four distinct development stages a group can be in, and each stage has a direct effect on uh, the group's uh, performance. They are most commonly referred to as forming, storming, norming, and performing. And that's a model by Richard Tuckman. In the forming stage, Group members' energy is mostly spent on feeling safe with and being accepted by others and be motivated by the longer-term common goal. In the storming stage, their energy is used to understand each other's behavior and intent and to resolve their disagreements. In the norming stage, it's about working out how to effectively work together and that everyone's input on how they should work together has been acknowledged. And the performing stage is mainly about continuously evaluating and improving performance. So looking at performance, all-time low occurs at some point in the storming stage and all-time high in the not surprisingly performing stage. Mm. Studies by Wieland have shown that it generally takes a newly formed team six to eight uh, months to reach, so to speak, the performing stage, assuming that they actually will experience this stage at all because the same studies also show that roughly only 23% of all teams will at some point experience uh, the performing stage. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so what are some of the things that leaders uh, could do to further uh, set up a team for success then? One of them is to be mindful of, of the membership over time. So create enough stability in a team to give them a chance to become performant. So changing or adding or removing members on a weekly basis is not going to set up any team for success. It will cause disruption. So being smart about how often and what change in membership is done will have a large impact on on performance. So meaning that if, if a group is roughly stable, but you change one member, maybe that cycle will be shorter, but it will still change uh, and have the team go through it again. And another is to actively manage the amount of energy that you give and the time that you engage with a particular team. 
and the type of behavior that you have when interacting with them. So generally you spend more energy supporting a team in the forming and storming stages uh, to help them through those, where you repeatedly clarify the business context, the purpose, the goals, um, but also to, to actively engage in building a safe space for all members and help them to, to achieve quick wins when possible or um, if they have a hard time resolving conflicts and disagreement, you help them manage and provide them with tools so they're able to manage most of this by themselves. And if you're successful, you'll see yourself spending less energy over time and the team will be able to experience the norming and performing stages. Um, yeah, did I miss anything there? <laughs> I think uh, I think these are fantastic and great. Um, on top of these, I think you also should practice to identify in what stage a team is in. Yeah. Uh, what type of behavior is most common in each uh, in each stage? What questions you ask or survey to make an educated guess at least? Mm. Also remind yourself that this is a model and not an ultimate description of truth or reality. Mm. It, just as an example, a team can be in the norming stage during the retrospective in the morning and informing during the planning session in the afternoon. Uh, the topic, the context and the situation can largely impact the team's behavior and uh, the needs that they have. So use it for what it is. It's a very useful model that helps you figure out some key conditions the team needs to be able to be productive, essentially. Well put. So if we were to summarize, the first thing to focus on if you want a successful team, and we hope that you do <laughs> as you're listening to this, uh, is to create the most basic conditions. Namely, the team should be tasked with a common longer term goal. And that could be a mission that stretches beyond six months, basically. Mm. and that the team members should be interdependent. So collaboration should be required to, to actually achieve that goal. And if you can't create these conditions uh, or it doesn't make sense in your specific context, it might be more productive for them not to actually work as a team yeah. at all. Um, but other things you can do or should consider to, to improve general conditions are uh, to be sensible about membership in teams over time. So group dynamics takes time. Um, so cr creating that stability for them to become productive and, and not doing things to, to mess with that. Um, the people ideally only should be committed mm -hmm. to a single team. And this is actually something that a lot of organizations struggle with. Uh, Anna's pet peeve, don't use individual incentives or rewards. <laughs> so if you really want to do rewards, use them on a team-based uh, performance instead, because that will help foster collaboration. And then improve your ability to identify what development stage a team is currently in. And remember that this might vary uh, depending on the situation. And then help the team by actively manage the amount of energy and time and, and, and type of behavior depending on what stage the team is in. And I think the, the most relative skill set you should develop to, to sort of aid this is the ability to create a safe space and, and manage disagreements to teach others to do the same. Great summary. As I'm listening to it, I get almost, I get uh, overwhelmed. Hmm. There's a lot of things to think about and yeah. to learn from this topic, mm -hmm. uh, for sure. 
And that's all I wanted to talk about today. Yeah. So um, we hope this uh, gets you reflecting on your organization. And if you're part of a team and if your organization have the conditions that are necessary to foster great teamwork. So we hope that you stay safe and healthy and uh, hopefully we hear it. You'll hear from us soon mm. again. Yeah. Bye. Bye.